Today on Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman, we'll look at Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and how the left is freaking out about it. And then we'll also travel down to Times Square and we'll see that Jeremy Boring and Tim Poole bought a billboard in the middle of Times Square to do something epic. These guys are just on a roll lately. Uh, and then we'll also take a look at furries and what is going on with people who wish to sexualize animals. And then finally, in Christianity Not Today, we'll look at a brand new children's book that you might find disturbing. We'll do all that and more all on today's show. So last night I had kind of an interesting experience with my wife um, because she mostly tunes me out, which I personally don't blame her uh, as I'm talking to her about some things, but she stumbled upon something on social media that really, really caught her attention that kind of opened her eyes in a way that I think was very interesting. And so it served as an opportunity for me to kind of see somebody else's eyes opening to some things that were going on in the culture that she wasn't aware of before because I've been enamored with thinking about what it finally takes for us to see things that are going on from a different perspective than we've seen it before. So what does it really take to change? You know, you got Rocky going in front of a crowd of Russians saying, you change, I change, we all can change. But change is really one of the hardest things to come by. It's hard for you, it's hard for me, it's hard for all of us to really truly fundamentally change the way we think about things. Uh, but, but I'm curious as to it's what I call stepping in the poop. What, what it takes for us to finally step in the poop and then finally realize it's there and then to realize, ah, I, there's, I'm in a place where things are different and I have to think about this and I may have to be a little bit more careful than I once thought. So, um, and, and this happened in the form of, of all thing, of a children's book. So I'm really, really excited to jump to that at the end of the show. And, and talk about the subject that we're gonna be digging into today is something that I really, really think we, we, we need to have some more conversations about. But before we do that, I wanna make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by the guys over at Element Funding. Now, I've talked to you about the Kevin Blair team every single time I have a show just because they are sponsors and I have to but also because I love those guys over there. Uh, this is such an important time. The housing market is totally nuts. So I really do look forward to sharing with you about Kevin Blair and the team over there because this is an important time for you to secure your family's future. And the way that you can do that is by right now going to get pre-qualified for a home mortgage. You can quickly lock yourself into a good rate before they find, before they go up and they're going to eventually before the end of the year. And you can do it with a company that you can trust, that cares about the things that you care, care about, that holds your values. So I encourage you to go over to kevinblairteam.com today. Go over there and see what they can do to help you out. And when you do so, make sure that you let them know that IndieThinker sent you. So if you guys have been watching the show, you know that I've been talking about what DeSantis has done in Florida and uh, the response that some people have had to what they call Disney's uh, censoring of free speech. Some have called it vengeful, hypocritical, and you don't fight fire with fire. But all of that assumes something that is really important to note. It assumes that there's some type of moral equivalency, that both sides are actively just doing their thing rather than one side is good and one side is not. So as Disney is actively shining a positive light on the abuse of children, we need people to understand that fighting is a non-negotiable because the sides are very different and especially their moral makeup. For this reason, we fight with as little concern as possible over how our enemies will perceive us when we do that. Our 
concern rather should be focused on what places like Disney are doing, like you'll see in this clip. Please welcome Desmond Naples, aka Desmond is amazing. <laughs> I love that you love root beer caffeine free. Mm -hmm. I can get on board with that. My mom doesn't like me drinking caffeine. Does it make you hyper? Yeah, me too. They don't like when I drink caffeine either. But Jasmine, you're one of the youngest and first drag queen slash kids. Now I was horrified when I saw this clip and, and if you're listening, I can only encourage you to go and check out the show and watch it on YouTube because this clip is three years old. And when you watch it, it will brand, it will sear into your brain the image of this 11-year-old boy dressing up like a girl on national television while adults clap like seals. But the reason most of you don't remember it is not because it didn't sear into your brain when you saw it, but probably because there wasn't enough outcry over it for you to even see it in the first place. And there weren't leaders who were actually leading. And so they didn't voice complaints about these kind of things. But we're learning now, if we squander time on this issue, discussing the merits of arguments and our opponents and how they'll feel and all of that stuff, we do so at the expense of children, like Desmond here. We must stop it with the immoral equivalency that we hear all the time. Unfortunately, evil is infectious and it's got to be stopped. So we cannot make the mistake of moral equivalency. If we have a just cause and we operate within the bounds of law. Anything we can do to stop evil is acceptable. And by the way, guys, it is needed. Therefore, DeSantis is well within his right to do everything and more that he is doing to stop Disney and their goal and their stated goal to bring queer agendas to children. So again, if your cause be just and within the bounds of law, do it. All I can say to this is this. There's more important questions that lie underneath the dressing up of an 11-year-old as a girl on national television, television as Michael Strahan applauds. Because there's an even more important idea underneath all of this, underneath the grooming of kids. It's, it's, it's underneath gender ideology. It's underneath identity politics. It's underneath abortion. It's the idea that you have a truth and I have one. It's called moral relativism. It's the idea that there are broad disagreements on what is good and moral, and that because of that, we can't really know what is just and what is true. And so, all we have and all we're relegated to is your opinion and then my opinion. That, frankly, is hogwash. It is literal soap running off the butt of a nasty, muddy pig. Moral relativ relativism has crept into our society, and we once believed in truth and lies, in fact and fiction, in good and evil. And here's how you know. The leader of the biggest teachers union in America goes on national television and she says moral relativistic hogwash like this. Have you had conversations with uh, LGBTQ teachers in terms of how they have been targeted uh, just for merely existing in the classroom? I mean, 
I remember yes. teachers just openly talking about personal experiences and what they've gone through. And now we're seeing how by merely existing, they have been targeted and smeared as a danger to their students. So, you know, obviously um, I have and I've talked to several gay teachers who are members of our union um, to just, um, you know, be their backstop. Um, PFLAG did an amazing um, petition for one of those teachers in Florida, a remarkable elementary school teacher, kindergarten teacher, beloved by his kids and, 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 and the parents of his kids. And he was immediately terrorized um, after the bill was passed and signed by DeSantis um, because he's gay. Um, we have to let gay kids and gay teachers, frankly, we have to let everyone talk about their lived experience. That that lived experience. I'm so tired of these kind of like words that are being used without any like relation to reality and truth. No, we don't. We don't give two craps about lived experience because lived experience is based upon an interpretation of an event. And it's irrelevant to what may have actually took place because it carries no epistemic weight. We don't and we shouldn't care about anyone's arbitrary interpretation of what took place and how it made them feel. We want facts and those aren't up for debate. If you care about the truth, but you're reluctant to speak up and fight back, then all you need to do is just one simple thing. Go back and check your goal. And then check the opposition's goal. If their goal is evil and yours is not, then like a bulldozer, push ahead until the whole ideology that you are standing against falls to the ground in a heap of rubble. Because here's what I hear a lot. Don't tell me what to do if you don't want to be told what to do. Like this is what children say, but nonetheless, we hear adults saying it all the time. In a relative world, that may be fine, right? However, the real world, in the real world, not all ideas are equal and there are repercussions to bad ideas. So by the way, you don't want to live in a world where that isn't the truth. You want to live in a world where the best ideals win. Moral relativism leaves us in a world of perpetually demanding that all ideas deserve the same audience, even when it is clear they don't. And it would leave us in perpetual ignorance, ever learning, but never acknowledging anything as true if we lived in a moral relative world. We'd be blindly walking through life, never making an assessment of the good, leaving all of us without any idea of what a good life looks like. We'd all have to accept that Brian Stelter is handsome and what an icky world that would actually be. Thank God we don't live in that world. So I guess at the end of the day, what I'm saying is, is that I want to fight for the right to moral superiority. Now, granted, this is dangerous because we can easily claim it and be wrong, but it does not deny the existence of morally superior ways of living. And we got to quit being afraid of asserting that. We have a right and an obligation to promote and to push forward the best ideas and to demolish the ideas that are destructive. Therefore, the only remedy is what I would call and what others call intellectual colonialism. Now, the left wants to steer away from anything that is colonial, but in the same way colonialism demanded adherence to certain ways of living, intellectual colonialism demands the subordination of bad ideas to good ideas. So in studying for this episode, I'll give you an example. I ran across a fascinating article in The Wire, uh, and it was written by an Indian doctor who built a case 
for intellectual colonialism. In summary, the doctor called for English to be the one language that could be used uh, across the scientific and specifically the medical community. Not only is most of the important medical liter literature out there in the scientific community written in English, but the most important discoveries are being made, especially in the medical community in America. And so doctors need to be able to speak English to learn from them. And here is the key. Why? Here's why we can't resist things like intellectual colonialism. The sum total here is, is forget your silly notions of English being the language of the oppressors. People's lives depend on us agreeing on this language because it gives us access to the most important and valuable information that is available to us. It's a truly fascinating piece that you can find in the show notes here today on the show. But it, but it made me think, in a very real way, we must fight for ethical and moral superiority because it could literally save the lives of kids who are being lied to by places like Disney. So what I'm promoting here is called, is, is, is called intellectual colonialism, but to be clear, it's not racial or even economic colonialism. It's intellectual in nature. Because as Douglas Murray said, good luck is the residue of good ideas. So in other words, if you want good to come your way, you have to pave the way for it by making good decisions. This is why some countries are more prosperous than others. I mean, we just don't want to say this, but it's true. Not all ideas are created equal. Some are self-evidently superior and demand greater attention and widespread dissemination. Sure, let's debate which ideas those are, but then when we come up with the better ideas, let's concede and admit to it. For God's sake, let's demolish the bad ideas targeting defenseless children if we do anything. Gandhi said this, the true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most vulnerable members. See, look, I can even acknowledge good ideas even when it comes from a guy that was dead wrong about Jesus and definitely dead wrong about steak. All right, let's jump into our headlines today. So I'm not joyful at all about the fact that the left is freaking out that Elon Musk just bought Twitter. But, but I do have a question about it. Did you know that what we're seeing before our eyes is such a wild, crazy world that two people can say the exact same thing and mean something directly opposite. I mean, it's really interesting. So when the left says free speech, what they actually mean is government-controlled and censored speech that they personally approve of. And when the right says free speech, they mean the ability to say whatever they want without interference, all right? So it, it, it took a while for the mask to come off, but it's it's... It's an absolute genius move and uh, blatantly obvious that Twitter is censoring free speech and that, as Musk says, it's the town square and it's a place where free speech really does matter and should be ensured. And that free speech means you can say things that, that people don't like, sorry. And it should, that should be ensured on Twitter if it is gonna be the town square. But that did not stop the left from absolutely clowning themselves as they railed against this perfectly common sense assertion. So um, they did the best impression they could of ridiculous people and they sent out tweets about, uh, about Musk buying Twitter. So here's just some of those. So Elizabeth Warren said, this deal is dangerous for our democracy. Billionaires like Elon Musk play by a different set of rules than everyone else, accumulating power for their own gain. We need a wealth tax and strong rules to hold big tech accountable. 
Okay, so who does she think owns Facebook? I mean, th does she think Mark Zuckerberg lives on a corner of a, you know, city street? Now, I know he's in San Francisco, and because the homeless population there is out of control, she might actually think Mark Zuckerberg is homeless, but actually he's, he's a multimillionaire, if not a billionaire. I don't know what his personal wealth is and don't care, because the next tweet is even more important. George Takai. He said this, I'm not going anywhere, he tweeted. Darn it. And then he went back to say this, should this place become more toxic, I pledge to strive even harder to lift up reason, science, compassion, and the rule of law. The struggle against fascism, misinformation, and hate requires tough fighters. I hope you stay in the fight right beside me. Right beside me. Well, he has that kind of voice. But anyway, so, so you say reason and science. I mean, you say that so casually, like you're not one of those people that goes around saying that a boy is actually a girl and that they can snap their fingers in a moment and magic, they can change their gender. How about this one? Jamila Jamil, if that's pronounced right, of nobody knows her, but anyway, she decided to speak out on this. Quote, I fear this free speech bid is going to help this hell platform reach its final form of total lawless hate, bigotry, and misogyny. Best of luck. Well, I can tell you, Jamela, we're so sad to see you go. Um, look, no one knows who I am either, so I know I made fun of that, the fact that nobody knows who she is, but, but notice I'm not being named as a celebrity in an article spouting total nonsense, self-righteous nonsense at that, about Elon Musk buying Twitter. And then finally this one, Vijaya Gaddy, and it may be Gad, I don't know, who is an outspoken attorney for Twitter and an outspoken proponent of censoring free speech. She spoke up and she said, that there are significant uncertainties about what the company will look like under Musk's leadership. Now, you may remember this girl. She was the girl that accompanied Jack Dorsey on the Joe Rogan podcast um, about a year back, maybe a little bit more. But the ironic thing here is, no, we know exactly what Musk wants to do because he's told us, unlike other shady CEO Twitter, uh, Twitter CEOs, he's come out and said that what he wants to do is he wants transparency on the platform. So he's going to make the algorithms open source so people know they are not being shadow banned. And then he's going to take the company private so that the government will quit extorting platforms like uh, Facebook and others like it, or at least Twitter in this case, take it private so that they can't continue to try to come in and say they're censoring for everybody's self-interest. So the insanity in all of this is that the left just got done whining about how important free speech is for Disney and what DeSantis is doing in Florida is a direct violation of free speech. And then directly on the heels of that, they go and rail against a rich man purchasing Twitter to expand free speech. I mean, they're acting like the world is absolutely crumbling down around them just simply because Elon Musk comes on the Twitter scene and wants to improve it by actually allowing more free speech. So, so much for being interested in government institutions and free speech. That's the, the most hilarious one that they actually care about institutions. They only care about power. So this is why you can't trust them. Democrats are perfectly hypocritical. And this is why you can't give them the benefit of moral equivalency. They do not care about reason and logic, and they don't care if they even contradict themselves in their pursuit for power. As slanderous and as ad hominem as this may be, they will stop at nothing to prove their point. So again, this is why we cannot say, well, that's the way they see it and this is the way we see it. No, there is a right and there is a wrong. So for example, they hijack ideas like social justice that are clearly from Christian scripture. 
because I dare, I defy you to understand where the idea of social justice and equal rights came from, if not from the Bible. And then they wish to throw the Bible out, calling it some neo-colonial book for white oppressors. And then they cry out against racism and then usher us into segregated graduations. And then they love to see black people stuck in cycles of poverty. And they have sucky arguments and then they try to defend those sucky arguments by throwing January 6th just somewhere in the mix. Okay, that last one's on the nose, but you get the point. They are perfectly hypocritical because they do not really believe in truth or that the truth exists. They only believe in their truth. Therefore, they will never stand in a place of true moral superiority. But it does not stop them from their absolute delusional pursuit of superiority. They're really living in the emperor's new clothes. They're so high on their own farts that they cannot tell that the rest of the world thinks that they're just a bunch of bloviating gas bags and completely insane. I mean, listen to this tweet by Talcum X or Sean King, who's called Talcum X, by the way, because some people think, not me, but some people out there in the Twitter sphere especially think that he may be lying about actually being a black person. But, but anyway, he said this on Twitter right before he canceled his account. He suggested that Musk's purchase of the platform was actually white power because Musk is from South Africa. Now here, the left is perfectly hypocritical. Here we have an actual African-American in Musk being verbally attacked, which we're told is the same thing as violence. By the way, verbal attacks, same thing as violence, by a wannabe African-American, but yet no outcry. So what the literal H-E double hockey sticks is going on? When I first started my show, I really wondered, do these people believe what they're actually saying and they're just kind of like over-exaggerating for clicks and stuff like that? And then I started researching people like Joy Reid, and now I know these people are truly delusional. They do believe what they're saying. Al Sharpton actually believes that he is a reverend. I mean, come on, people. All right, let's jump into our next story because we could go further. Jeremy Boring, the CEO of The Daily Wire, and Tim Poole of the Tim Cast podcast team up to purchase a sign in Times Square that says this. Taylor Lorenz docks libs of TikTok. Okay, so for this sign, that must have cost a lot of money, but worth every penny, by the way. Um, you know, there's people saying this about, about Musk, too, that, like, he, he spent $44 billion, $44 billion, not million, on Twitter. Um, and, and I happen to think, and of course, they pearl clutch, and they're like, well, what could you do with poverty for $44 billion? Um, actually very, very little because poverty really actually has a lot to do with, with mental health and not just pure dollars and cents. But of course, people are going to disagree with that, but those will perfectly be the kind of people who have never dealt with people in the homeless community as I have. But uh, I digress. Uh, I, I don't know how much this sign costs, but it costs a lot. So to understand like what's going on and why that sign was placed there in the first, let, let me take you back and tell you who Taylor Lorenz is. So Taylor Lorenz, presently is a columnist, a journalist for the Washington Post, and she used to work for the New York Times. And now she works for the Post looking into kind of like uh, tech trends and cultural things that are going on in the, in the tech world. So that's just another way of saying what this woman actually does is she goes out of her way to try to find people to cancel on uh, TikTok and other social media platforms and the, and the like. And so just recently, she uh, wrote an article about the person who is behind the libs of TikTok account. And in the article, she did something called doxing. She put a link to 
who this person was or where their personal information could be found. Now, a lot of people have been stepping back and saying, hey, this information is personal in nature, uh, or sorry, that is public in nature, and anybody could have gone on and found out where this person's address is and what their name is. And so Taylor Lorenz just did something that was public information anyway. However, the linking to this directly into the article is clearly an attempt to try to expose this person to let people know where this person lives and is clearly immoral. Uh, now, this didn't stop this hypocritical woman from crying about the very kind of same things happening to her. People doxing her, letting people know where, what her uh, address was, and then people sending her mean tweets about um, her needing to kill herself and the like. So I want to show you, I want to show you this hypocrisy on display right now, so that you can see why the Daily Wire put that sign up in Tim Pool, put that sign up in in Times Square. So here's here's Taylor Lorenz whining before the American public about how badly she was treated. Yeah, they'll, they'll threaten children, they'll threaten my parents. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I, I contemplated suicide, it got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. And terrifying. It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's overwhelming. It's really hard. We have Taylor Lorenz crying about people attacking her openly, and then Taylor Lorenz, after that, exposes the owner of the libs of TikTok and links to a place where her address can be found. So hypocrisy all over the place. So she wants to cry about attacks that have come her way, and then she wants to perfectly attack this. Uh, this other woman just because she's on a different ideological basis. And of course, she, she, she will come out and tell us that the reason that it's all fair game to attack this other woman behind libs of TikTok is because she's a transphobe, right? You know, that thing you do to try to justify your point. So she took great, great um, labor and effort, amounts of time, to go back and self-reflect and find out a way that she could justify her totally hypocritical actions. And what she came back with is some type of phobia because she knows the leftist attack is to attach a phobia to something and then just say people on the right are being this phobia, Islamophobia, homophobia, whatever phobia, arachnophobia, agoraphobia. And they're being this, therefore they deserve everything that, that she gets. Um, so congratulations on uh, just absolutely knowing the leftist playbook uh, backwards and forwards. But I think we should probably come back to reality and out of that fictional, that fictional book. Um, and just say this, I think we all know that Taylor Lorenz's tears are an attempt to make us look away, right? Because nobody likes to see a crying woman, especially one that's so clearly faking. I mean, I just thought to myself, uh, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be dispassionate. Please hear me on this. I, I do actually really um, care about Taylor Lorenz's tears. But when I saw this, I thought to myself, this is utterly fake. Like, she's not even a good actress with this thing. And so she's working up the crocodile tears because nobody likes to see a crying woman. People just look away and they're like, oh, okay, well, this is gonna get ugly. Get the girl a Kleenex and just, let's just move on. All right, obviously she's hurt and her feelings matter deeply to all of us. So. 
we must do everything within our power to let her know that her feelings matter to us. So it's a ploy. It's an attempt. It's a dishonest attempt to try to gain moral credibility with her tears when she is perfectly hypocritical because like I've already illustrated, she has gone on to do the exact same thing that she accused people of doing to her. I mean, within days of crying about it on TV, she was doing it to another woman. Uh, and, and this is supposed to be some kind of an attempt at a job. So I, for one, uh, am done with the emotional arguments. The emotional arguments that kind of try to extort people and try to use radical empathy instead of just radical subjectivity is what this really is, uh, to try to pull upon people's heartstrings to get them to not pay attention to the truth. And speaking of delusional and not paying attention to the truth, our next story we'll dig into deals with the phenomenon of furries. So two articles here back to back. The New York Times says, why are adults falling for the furries myth? And then in the Rolling Stones, we get, when do I get to see Mr. Wolf's, I can't say the word, but male private part, why some furries are losing it for the new kids movie, The Bad Guys. Before I go any further, just gotta say that this is dedicated to Julie Bledsoe, but those two articles there I think are interesting. New York Times, one, why are adults falling for this lie of furries being a thing? And then we've got the Rolling Stones telling us why adults are falling for this thing, because there are actually people out there talking about a kid's movie, again, the bad guys, and talking about Mr. Wolf in the film and asking to see his private parts. Now, to get the full picture of what bad, the bad guys is, I'm gonna show you just a quick little bit of the trailer. Now, I know what it is because my kids are looking forward to seeing it and it's by DreamWorks and not Disney, so um, I, I haven't heard anything about it yet. It hasn't come out yet, so I don't know if we're actually gonna go see it, but from everything that I can tell, it seems as though it may be a, a movie that's suitable for my kids, but I don't wanna assume that you know what it is, so to really understand how ridiculous what this, this furry article is about this, about this new movie, I wanted to show you just a brief clip of this new movie, The Bad Guys, so check this out. Hey, you, get over here. Oh, I know what it is. You're afraid because I'm the big bad wolf, the villain of every story. Duh. And this is the crew, Miss Tarantula. Hey, you, get over here. Oh, I know what it is. You're afraid because I'm the big bad wolf, the villain of every story. Duh. And this is the crew, Miss Tarantula, Mr. Shark, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Snake. Everyone copy. 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 We're the bad guys. It's crime time, baby. This is why we're so disturbed and up in arms about the furry thing. So this is yet another one of those things. I see this um, all the time in conservative versus liberal kind of things or conservatives versus leftist things for sure. Uh, but I also see this in the church. Like when, when feminist theologists rise up and they you know, espouse perfectly ridiculous ideas or uh, critical theorists want to try to come in um, and use theology as a guise for critical theory and, and talk about liberation theology. Um, and then they say, well, why are you so worried about this? Why does it even affect you? And then you've got gay pastors and stuff like that coming up there and totally perverting scripture and saying, uh, well, why do you even care? Uh, so this is, we slap you in the face and ask you to not pay attention to it uh, kind of stuff. 
And so th that's what's going on here. I mean, the reason we're paying attention is because this furry thing is absolutely nuts. For those of you who don't know what this is, is that this is essentially bestiality. It's, it's the idea that adults will dress up as animals because they have a secret sexual fetish for animals. And then very often, not only because they have a fetish for those things because they just like them, but also there will be a sexual element to it that they will also have sex together in these, in these costumes because they somehow dream and fantasize of having sex with animals. Now, the reason we pay attention to that is because it is absolutely appalling and there doesn't even need to be much to be said about here, because I'm not even going to dig into the ridiculous, foolish article of people looking to see nudity from a cartoon. But, but I want to bring it back to kind of the purpose of the show today. So we're talking about moral relativism, and this is where, like right in our face, is, is staring us the reason why moral relativism doesn't work. Now, we said this about like the homosexual marriage thing back in the 90s, and maybe even to an extent the abortion thing, because they were saying, hey, why do you care about what we do in our own bedrooms? And then with abortion, they were saying, hey, we just want safe and legal and rare. And of course, the slippery slope argument was, you open up the door to this, and you're going to be open, opening up the door to a panoply of other things. And of course, that's happened, because now here we have this sexual deviant furry thing going on. And of course, we have people who in California, I just did a show on this, who are asking now for their babies to, for, for them not to be liably, liably held responsible for their baby dying up to 28 days. Um, and, so, and so this slippery slope argument was this idea that we cannot as a society put a stamp of approval on things as though they are morally equivalent or though, though they are the same. Because the moment we open up the door for that, where, when do we draw the line? Suffice to say, I hope what this story illustrates is just simply the fact that we've been drawing lines in the sand rather than lines in the cement. And the problem with that is that every wind that can ever happen in a culture will blow by that wind or blow by that line in the sand, blow it away, and then we'll have to keep on drawing it further and further and further out. And then finally, you see that you're bringing stuff into the sandbox that's absolutely destroying the sandbox. So for instance, you bring water into the sandbox and it's not water anymore, it's mud. Um, so we're realizing, hopefully, if anything, that moral relativism is a lie and that we need lines in the concrete and, and we need rails for the train to go on or else it's going to derail, which is certainly a concern because I believe we're living within, um, at least we have a recipe for, for it right now, within at least a generation or two generations time. If something doesn't happen, this whole experiment in America could, could be over. But we'll, we'll dig into a, a little bit more of that, I suppose, as we jump into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. So I, as I mentioned in the intro of the show today, my wife was scrolling through Instagram the other day and she, she stumbled upon something that kind of opened her eyes. But she was, uh, she's been inspired to write a kid's book and she wants my, my oldest son to illustrate the book. And so she stumbled upon a guy named Matthew Paul Turner, who is a children's author, and he wrote a beautifully illustrated book called I Am God's Dream. And so I want to give you the description of the book real quick. So I Am God's Dream is a deeply encouraging exploration of the unique strengths, curiosities, and desires in every kid. In this deeply affirming picture book, children will see how God celebrates and adores each of us and why we should be proud to be who we are. Kids of all faith traditions will receive in these pages the gift of empowerment, purpose, and ownership over their own faith perspective. Okay, so the language of the description here seemed a little odd to me, and it kind of just reeked, to be totally honest with you. And then the title of the book as well, 
um, about I am God's dream. I mean, like, God is dreaming about me? Like, how do I even know that? But, but it also sounds a little bit like God is worshiping us rather than the other way around. But hey, you know, we want to support fellow believers and all. Uh, but as we started to thumb through the guy's work a little bit more and then also thumb through his profile, we thought, a little bit more on what's really going on in this book. And our eyes were illuminated when we started to see some things on Matthew Paul Turner's um, uh, Instagram. So he posted a sign from his kid's middle school that says things like, Latinx students, your culture will be celebrated here. So, okay, so problem number one with that sign. Latinx people don't exist. They were actually created by old white liberal ladies. Uh, that phrase was anyway. Uh, problem number two, the sign says LGBTQ students, you do not need to change. But of course the implication is that straight students, you must change. You must tell your lying eyes that that young man wearing a dress is actually a girl. But maybe he's just showing that his school is truly awful and he needs to get out of there and he was shocked by the fact that the school would put a ridiculous sign out there like that. But more scrolling showed that his agenda is not truth but to quote him. We want to explain God in new ways, end quote. So not biblical or honest ways. We're just looking for new ways to explain God. So we see that he supports a book called My Gay Church Days and uh, feminist theology books called Red Lip Theology. After seeing that and more, we finally saw something that really kind of shocked us. Uh, we saw Natalie Grant and her posting about the book and she in uh, personally endorsed the book on the post. So for those who don't know, Natalie Grant is a prominent Christian musician and in the past she's received attention because she walked out of the Grammys one year when Katy Perry was literally doing a, a satanic dance and, and that's just not me as a Christian saying that, like she called it that and where they married a gay couple on stage. So it was a very disturbing thing to, for my wife to see Natalie Grant, somebody who she likes, a prominent and visibly, you know, um, well-known uh, Christian musician endorse a book like this and endorse a guy like that. So that so she's usually the one telling me, hey, calm down, or the one that's literally saying, huh, after I've spoken to her for about 30 minutes about something that's really important to me. So, so it was a real moment uh, for my wife where she finally did what I call she stepped in the poop. She realized that there is something happening in Christianity and out there in the world that she didn't notice before. She was simply wondering, and she was simply left wondering, like, how could Natalie do something like that? How could she betray her better principles, especially her principles when kids are concerned where this, where this kid's book could reach them? So let's go back to the kid's book, because I could be accused of overreacting about the man, but what about the book itself? Does the man show up in the book? So yes and no. No, the book does not groom kids specifically into unbiblical and unscientific lifestyles, but in other ways it does. It uses very careful language to obscure what the author really wants to say, which is not only that God loves you, but it's also a desperate attempt to prove that he is an ally, right? But also uh, language that he uses in this affirming book, my words, uh, his words, not mine, so in this affirming book, he wants to suggest that all ways of viewing yourself are equal. In other words, yes, it is a book premised on the lie of moral relativism and that no matter what identity you can come up with, you're that. So it reminds me of a great book that probably the, a book you should buy, Johnny the Walrus, which is in direct opposition to this book, 
Johnny the Walrus, of course, is about a kid who thinks he's a walrus, and his mother says, hey, you be whatever you want to be. But then the doctor says, uh, no, you, you're not a walrus. And then finally Johnny, it's a redemptive book, at the end of the book realizes, you know what? I'm not a walrus. So ultimately, this book is simply premised on a lie. It's the lie of moral relativism. It's the lie that any identity that can be uh, come up with, including furry ones, uh, are completely and equally valid. And then it's packaged up for kids. So you can bet, um, a little alarmed when I saw this, especially from a supposed Christian author. So if it assured kids that God loves them, fine. But it seems to suggest that God loves you and every decision that you make. How could I not see the views of this LGBTQIA plus ad infinitum affirming author and his desperate attempts to be noticed by deconstructionist, how could I not see this permeate this kid's book? So this brings us back to the theme of today's show. What accounts for this sentiment among supposed Christians? What's so bad about telling a kid that they can be whatever they want to be? And, and where did this sentiment come from? So first of all, let's talk about the problem. Why is this a problem? Teaching kids that God affirms all their decisions is just a lie. That's why it's a problem. It's not true. Sure, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you enough not to keep you that way. He will lovingly and gently, and sometimes not so gently, I can tell you from personal experience, warn you away from destructive decision-making that is not in your best interest. Kids are the prime target for that message specifically because they are little suicide machines and parents have the responsibility to help them navigate good and bad in this life. So to suggest to them at an early age, whatever you decide is good, is to condemn them to a life of ice cream, butter noodles, and pancakes, which we all know, not actually that good for you. All right, let's talk about the source now. So if this is bad and God doesn't approve of every decision we could possibly make, which would be lunacy to suggest, where does this idea come from? So as moral relativism, relativism has invaded our culture, it has created Christians who are blind to its effects and now practice it without even recognizing that they're doing it. So Natalie Grant can hold up a book of a clearly confused secular man that claims to be a Christian who gets all the street cred for being nice without ever taking any risks of being honest. So this comes from the fact that we have ejected morality in the West and we are operating as a purely rational society. So reason is great, but nowhere near as powerful as morality and reason together. Without morality, you can justify any action endlessly through rhetoric and lying to yourself. And this is how we come away with, you know, you do you and you be you. But the real problem here is that morality forces us to weigh and test ideas against right and wrong, rather than just to justify our decision-making with rhetoric. So when we actually get down to what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad, we find that some ideas are good and some are really bad. And perhaps we've moved away from talking about morals in the West because it leads us to an ultimate conclusion, that morality is better illustrated in religious ideas than anything you'll be able to develop on your own. And so if we delve down into the rabbit hole of religion and we whittle down through the religions of the world, one religion does emerge, triumphant, and superior to the rest. But many can't come out and just say that about Christianity because they're desperate to win brownie points with people who hate Christianity or may have a differing view. Uh, because, and, and we only care about that because we don't wanna hurt people's feelings. But, but here's the real problem at the end of the day, guys, with 
this moral equivalency and this moral relativism, there are devastating effects to it. As there are any time when you just wish to adopt a banal and cowardly ways of living. But there are side effects to moral relativism. It pushes people away from the truth while we selfishly make ourselves feel better about asserting things that people agree with. So we need both morality and reason. And because of that, I say to I Am God's Dream and Matthew Paul Turner, not today, or quite frankly, any day. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.